I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Anne Charles. On the show today... Nearly 1,000 news industry jobs have reportedly been cut in the UK, US and Ireland since June. How bad is the situation? Netflix UK reveals its viewers for the first time. Tortoise Media signs an exclusive deal with Sky Studios. And Ofcom finds a third of children have adult social media accounts. How should platforms respond? Plus, we bring you a sneak peek into Jane Garvey, Fee Glover and Jess Phillips's chat at the Podcast Day 24 conference. And in the media quiz, we find out who in the industry is leaving a trail of destruction. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week... BBC Studios Natural History Unit has unveiled a £1 million global talent initiative to develop and support aspiring natural history filmmakers. The three-year programme will develop talent and ensure local language versions of productions are made available to communities around the world. Over in the United States, host of InfoWars, Alex Jones, has been ordered to pay at least $965 million in damages to the family of victims of the Sandy Hook mass shooting. BBC disinformation correspondent Mariana Spring commented, Jones has never been handed damages of this scale before, nor has any other conspiracy theorist. But the jury's out on whether the huge damages that Jones has been ordered to pay will deter others promoting disinformation or damaging conspiracies. And serials Adnan Syed has had the charge of murdering his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee, dismissed after DNA evidence ruled him out as a suspect. Syed spent 23 years in prison. But on our show today, I have two experts to tackle the latest in media news, Alex Hudson from Newsweek and the Press Gazette's Charlotte Tovit. Uh, welcome to both of you. Alex, it's been a while since you've been on the show. So what have you been up to? Um, I spent two months in South America researching Bolsonaro. That was interesting. Wow. The Brazil is a mess. So is most of South America. Argentina's currency is has two different rates. So I, I spent all the time trying to work out how South America impacts the world and how it's about to change the global economy the actual reality is it's not so you know two months well spent and we look we're about to launch 24 newsletters for newsweek so that is taking up all of my time 
lots of typing going on at your end then, <laughs> frantically attached <laughs> to a keyboard. <laughs> Always. Isn't that every journalist's biggest problem, that we just sit there and type now? There is that. So at least you've been able to uh, get away from the computer and go and see real people for a while. How exciting. And Charlotte, you've also seemed to be having, as always, a very busy time of things. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. As you say, lots and lots going on in the media world right now. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I think quite a lot of the work that you've been doing is going to come up as something we're featuring in today's show. So thank you very much for all of the work that you've been doing. (laughs) You are welcome. So yeah, I won't spoil it now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Keep listening. So uh, we better crack on. So our very first story is really about Netflix and Netflix's numbers. So the streaming service that we all we all know and love, has signed up to UK independent ratings agency Barb. They're the people who look after the television figures. So that means that we've now got actual audited figures of what Netflix is up to compared with traditional broadcast channels. So Charlotte, can you just give us a bit of an insight about what's been revealed with those figures? Well, the reason I think this is so interesting is that currently Netflix can just put out essentially whatever it wants. And it seems that almost every big new TV show or movie is the biggest ever. And it's like, how can they all be the biggest ever? And that, you know, and I think I can't remember the exact metric they use, but essentially it can be, you know, someone even just on it for a few seconds or, you know, definitely they don't complete it. And it's just, it will be so good to be able to compare it actually to other TV programs, which are Barbers of obviously a properly audited thing and it's standardized across the industry and to get streamers gradually onto that and sort of make I think the broadcasters will like it so it's going to make it more of a pub uh, level playing field as well which is something they're desperate for in many ways. Yeah so the the figures that they did release showed that Netflix has 8.2 percent of Brits tuning into its programs which puts it above Channel 4 and Sky and below the BBC and ITV. Um, Alex, was that a surprise to you or does that feel about right based on on your kind of knowledge of the industry? Given the number of subscribers that it says it has, so 13.8 million UK subscribers, which is, you know, more than 5% of the UK, it's amazing that all of the TV ratings are made up. All of them are imaginary. All of them, they can be audited as much as they want the set-top boxes that Barb use, or that, you know, they talk about this 360 collection panel, there's a Barb panel, there's a device-based census data, there's a thing called dovetail fusion and data delivery and all of these brilliant buzzwords from Barb. So anecdotally, the, the idea that anyone not spending hours and hours and hours with Netflix seems magical to me, and I live in my own little media London bubble, but the idea that it's behind traditional TV is baffling to me and so that's the exciting bit about this data about how what comes out in the wash how barb data is under more scrutiny and what happens next to this sort of data data collection yeah i I mean i suppose it's behind some channels ahead of others it's not the first channel to have gone on to barb um disney's done it in the past so why do you think everyone's getting so excited about netflix actually joining into the barb system like charlotte was saying it's a level playing field it's how we start understanding Netflix just as a broadcaster. So, you know, the, the advertising model that broke overnight, how, how Netflix considered itself as just 
another channel on the ecosystem as more and more watching becomes more and more digital or more and more on demand, less and less linear. It just means that it's BBC One, it's BBC Two, it's ITV, it's Channel Four, it's Channel Five, and Netflix. It just becomes another channel on your on your TV rather than a whole separate ecosystem. And the both the analog channels are moving towards Netflix. Netflix are moving towards analog channels. It just brings the industry together. And. Earlier this week, Netflix uh, revealed that it has taken in £1.4 billion in revenue from British customers during 2021, which is seems an astonishing amount of money. So, Charlotte, there's been a lot of talk of what they call a subscriber plateau. Do you think that we're ever going to see Netflix having higher numbers in the future or do you think that we've reached peak Netflix in the UK? I mean, it's a good question. I think it's what people in all sorts of subscription businesses are currently wondering about, let alone just Netflix. I mean, obviously explains why they have now done this advertising tier. So the basic with ads will cost £4.99 in the UK and its current cheapest tier is £6.99. So they think people will, they'll get more subscribers overall who are happy to pay two pounds more, but watch some adverts. In the short term, obviously, we've got the cost of living crisis, which lots of media companies with subscription businesses are worried about. I I guess the question is, what happens at the end of that, whether people start getting their subscriptions back, like, you know, if they do have to cut back, whether they'll decide they did just fine without them or if they think oh great I can afford this again I'm desperate to treat myself to this again that's kind of what we don't know yet equally you know where I'm reporting on publishers all the time there are lots with advertising based businesses and lots with subscription based businesses but more and more are talking about the need for a good balance or a good mixture of both so for example subscriptions but some premium advertising so I think Netflix has realized the same if you're going to be sustainable longer term nowadays you need a good mixture of both. So interesting times ahead and moving on from from our broadcast platforms and going into newsrooms in general we've had some good news in terms of Netflix's revenue but now in the industry as a whole every week we're hearing of more and more industry job cuts so Garnet, Warner Brothers Studios, Snap, Patreon, Lad Bible um, have all had cuts recently and the Press Gazette has been taking a closer look at losses in newsrooms and found that of the 830 job losses that have happened in 2022 so far, almost 90% of them have taken place since the end of June. So Charlotte, this is this is a, your publication. So how significant do you think the spike is um, compared with the normal kind of ebb and flow of job cuts that we might have during a normal year? The media industry is well known for sort of these rounds of job cuts, obviously, but I think at the moment it just it does feel quite stark. It feels like the mood of the industry is a bit worried. And I think it's worth pointing out that those figures you just gave, where we found 830 editorial job losses, uh, and that's in the UK, US and Ireland in 2022 so far, that's definitely just the tip of the iceberg or you know there's definitely stuff that we miss because that's just um sort of us going through what we've reported so far and what other people have reported so you know there's definitely going to have been 
others that have slipped under the radar that haven't been reported yet. So it's definitely a worrying time. Obviously, there was lots of worry at the start of the pandemic, but I think it always felt a bit more short term or it always felt like there was an end in sight, even though we didn't know how long it was going to go on for. No one ever thought that it would go on that long. So everyone was looking a bit more short term the whole time. Whereas now I, I think the uncertainty means that we're not sure how long these worse headwinds are going to go on for. And now is the time for people to sort of buckle down and streamline where they can. I don't know if that means that maybe we're at an end of it for now because people were trying to do it ahead of the winter or whether that's going to continue. We'll have to keep an eye on it. But um, it definitely does feel like there's this mood right now where people are taking this seriously. And well, both of you obviously are well connected to UK newsrooms um, and journalists across our industry. So, Alex, what's your sense of how people are feeling in general? Do you, do we think maybe there might be more to come? With Newsweek, I think we're in a growth phase, which is wonderful. So the Press Gazette actually reported on um, US growth of publishers, and we were one of the few <laughs> the few ones that were growing year on year, which is, hooray! More generally across the industry, it's... You're, we're post-Trump, we're post-Brexit, we're post-Boris, we're post-Covid, we're post-economic growth. People have news fatigue. So where do you publishers, where do organisations get their traffic from? That's becoming search. Search is a fleeting platform. How can you make sure that people come back to your platform? And that's what organisations are struggling with in what makes people come back, who makes people come back, what topics make people come back. And how do you then put data behind that? The data across newsrooms, in certain newsrooms, once again, I'm a complete evangelist about this, is completely idiotic. So we're still looking at vanity metrics or we're still, oh, that's, that number sounds impressive without looking at actually the business numbers behind what that data means. And you're combining that with a fragmentation of, of how niches work across social. So if you look at the micro-influence, so if you look at how Substack is working, if you look at through how Patreon is working, how peer-to-peer storytelling is now becoming this growth market, how do big organizations deal with that without creating smaller reporters or influencers within newsrooms and then they get 10,000 subscribers themselves and then they jump off and start their own Substack. All of these are issues that editors have to consider and audiences are just thinking how can I find stories that I care about regularly and how can I understand what publishers stand for and how what do they do best and few organizations have answers to that for now. So I mean Alex is it fair to say that there's a tiny thread of optimism there to what you're saying that that perhaps if we have got journalists who are facing redundancy or, or looking for jobs that are there things that you think they should be doing to adapt their workflow to to make sure that they can survive and thrive in the in the next wave of how we're going to do journalism <laughs> If you are big on TikTok you are immune instantly immune because no media organization including the Washington Post and I appreciate that everyone thinks Washington Post is TikTok well it is not the answer to how TikTok it should be done by publishers we went through this sort of decade of generalists where every journalist had to be able to report on every issue and they were sat in newsrooms there were sort of 15 reporters whose job it was to do every story and what we're in the phase of now is we're going back almost to what is your niche what is your expertise what are you the best in and if and it's making sure that that audiences know that this person so a great example in Newsweek is our royal reporter Jack 
is next level. Um, and throughout all of the recent, you know, turbulence with the royal family, he was ending up on CNN and Fox every day because we'd set him up a year in advance and he was just absolutely bossing all of the coverage and across every story. But because Newsweek became the place for American audiences to find out about the royal family, that we'd already done that before the recent tragedy, it, audiences jumped to us because we already had built up that expertise. And so it's how can each reporter have whatever their niche is, however specific it is, how can they make sure they own that space and audiences know about it? And Charlotte, thinking about other places where, where jobs might be coming up, are there other places in the industry that you know are, are hiring? I know that the um, the Financial Times has been reporting that it's been doing quite well. So, yeah, what insights have you got for people who might be facing redundancy? Where should they be looking? <laughs> Apart from taking the, the good advice to specialise and know their niche and get across TikTok, where else might there be opportunities coming up? That's definitely all good advice from Alex. Um, I'd also just like to say, because I think I sounded very doom and gloom, that it's not all doom and gloom. And um, we held our conference at Press Gazette in September, and there was loads of optimism in the room and reasons that people were feeling cheerful. So I don't want to just be a downer because it's not. It's just that there's, there's this temporary worry. I think um, Forbes is doing big hiring. Um, I think... Reach is trying out some new things at the moment, which means it's hiring. I think Pink News is still expanding. I interviewed their CEO recently, and he said they're still going for quite a lot of people both this year and next year. Bloomberg, I think, is doing well. I know ITV's been hiring for its new ITVX. So um, there's definitely stuff going on. A lot of that stuff that I've just mentioned is around innovative things. that I think... um, Publishers and broadcasters are still trying out innovative things. They don't want to be swayed from that. So that's quite exciting. There's definitely still lots of exciting things to watch. And if you're looking, we're we're currently recruiting for newsletter producers and senior entertainment reporters and all sorts of other stuff. If you want to, if you are looking for a job as a newsletter producer, a.hudson at newsweek.com. It sounds like the media podcast needs to set up a, a jobs agency <laughs> side. <laughs> if, you, if you get your next big break from something you've heard on the podcast, then uh, we'll discuss our referral fee uh, later on. <laughs> on another positive note, then, um, moving from print into the world of audio, uh, Sky Studios has signed an exclusive multi-year deal to adapt Tortoise Media's original podcasts for the screen. So Charlotte, this has been something that you've been looking at. Earlier this week, you wrote a big article about how Tortoise Podcast has become the most profitable part of the slow news startup. So did you have any inkling this deal was going to be announced? Or can you tell us a little bit more? Katie Vanek-Smith, one of the co-founders of Tortoise, was at the Publisher Podcast Summit last week. And she talked a lot about how tortoise has pivoted to podcasts so essentially they started as a slow news outfit sort of concentrating on long reads and it was really good journalism but they realized people weren't actually reading to the end so they asked their readers what they wanted and they said well actually we listen a lot now we uh, more than we read so they thought "Mm, interesting so since then um i mean they have loads of amazing podcasts a couple of them won awards at our recent um, Future of Media Awards, actually. You know, for example, um, Sweet Bobby is this really successful investigative podcast. They've had the Slow Newscast, which is like a weekly sort of 
look at one thing really well. They've had London grad looking at Evgeny Lebedev. They've got a podcast with Andrew Neil now. Like they have, they have this huge roster. So at that summit, Katie talked about um, a couple of deals they had just done, but ha- couldn't yet reveal who the deals were with. So one was with a global major streaming platform for the rights of Sweet Bobby. Um, I think they still haven't said who that's with. Although she was like, I think you can guess who and. Um, she had mentioned the Tinder swindler, so I'm guessing that one's Netflix. <laughs> but then the other one she mentioned was a first look IP deal for the rights of all tortoise content with a major UK TV and film studio. And then obviously that came out this week that that was Sky Studios. So I think it's really exciting. It, it just shows sort of the value of, of having that really good original content and then having the potential to translate into another medium and if it's you know making money for them and could make lots more because you know it's got lots of potential for what actual series it goes into it could be scripted or it could be factual so um yeah I think it's actually really exciting and I suppose historically we've had things like the BBC would develop comedy or drama shows on the radio and then move them to being a television show and and use the audio sphere as being a way of developing um, their IP. So this is presumably another way that audio production houses and uh, broadcasters, television broadcasters can work together. Alex, you you do a lot in the world of digital and media innovation. Is this uh, a trend that you think might continue or is it a particular thing around the kind of content that Tortoise um, makes? I don't think necessarily it's a trend. It's just good old-fashioned journalism. So I've talked to James Harding, one of the co-founders of Tortoise, about this because he's my old boss. Um, and he's like, it's it's just old-fashioned, good quality journalism. And, and he's entirely right. It's just so take their new series, Hoaxed. So it's, it's an investigation into a Satan-worshipping paedophile ring in North London, right? Which every bit of that just sounds like it could be a panorama it could be a channel 4 doc it could even be a netflix series it's really strong original journalism with sort of reverting back to core principles of original strong robust storytelling it's not this sort of it's it's just iterating into new ways of telling it and and because of all of the people who are really well regarded journalists at that, at that place they have all of those ins they have all of that they can have those conversations with the senior executives and that's how they're working it through it they're launching a new thing next week which is like the review which is a sort of fortnightly review about what's happening in the news that day which matt dancona i want to be part of that please matt hi can i be can i be part of the panel thanks um shameless utterly shameless but i'm okay with it um so it's 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 not a new thing it's just it's tortoise understanding that what they were initially offering didn't quite resonate with anyone audience, like charlotte was saying and so it, in this media landscape where we're talking about job losses, it's pivot, 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 pivot. They've just done it quicker and better than their competitors. So that brings us to the end of part one. And speaking of podcasts, we have a special treat for our deep dive this week. A lovely chat between Jess Phillips MP and the legendary broadcasters Fee Glover and Jane Garvey, who gathered at Podcast Day 24 to discuss mixing podcasts and politics. Here's Jess's take on her favourite political podcasts. I do listen to them like newscast and uh, now the new one, now the other people who have been free from the BBC. The news agents. The news agents, yeah, that's yeah. it. 
Um, but more the ones I mean, like... she really lent in, didn't she, immediately after leaving the baby? Emily? Yeah, she really, really lent yeah. in. Uh, Perhaps a bit, maybe a bit braver than yeah. us. What do you think? No, don't say it, Jess. No, 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 I don't think it's necessarily that. I don't think she'll be back for the wreath lectures, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but He's the, still but hoping to get the odd freelance gig at the BBC. But more, <laughs> more the, you know, the, the ones like Alistair Campbell's and Rory Stewart's, where they're discussing hmm. politics. With I don't a kind listen of, to that, I'm afraid. No, okay. uh, I don't listen to that. Um, I find Rory Stewart a bit paternalistic, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, and I find some of it a bit boyish. Um, not that one, because I've never actually listened to it, so I don't know. Uh, I'm just taking him at face value from previous experience. Uh, I'm sure it's very good. I don't, it's like when I worked in domestic abuse services, people used to say, did you watch that amazing documentary? And I thought, no, I'll watch the Bake Off, because like, I, I, I like whimsy at the weekend. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but do you think podcasts are doing something interesting? Oh, 100%. Where in, in the space of politics. Yes. In the space of politics, for a start off, what they are able to do, which... Um, Actually, programmes like Women's Hour, I always felt did this, uh, but that political news doesn't give any room for nuance and conversation and understanding. And I think we've babied the British public that they can't understand complicated, difficult issues. Like the idea that any policy that you could pass is great for everyone, is just for the birds... And I don't think that the British public are stupid. And yet the, the, the sort of 24-hour news cycle that, that, that they have been fed doesn't allow for that nuanced conversation to happen. Whereas in the space of podcasting, that absolutely has been able to happen. People are able to discuss actual ideas. And you also, because it's not necessarily... you. People aren't necessarily looking at it for news lines. Now, some things they will be, like the news agents, like every time they put on a podcast, what they are looking for is to land the line that's going to end up in five different newspapers the yeah. next day. And you can feel that from it, I think, which is fine because it's like a news programme that is contemporary. But you can go on and discuss ideas, for example, like, uh, you know, a, a, a basic wage for everybody, um, the idea of um, uh, of discussing different ways of, of parental leave without it being like, the Labour Party says all drugs should be legalised. And like, if I say something on the news about how drugs policy in our country isn't working, that will be the headline the next day. Whereas if I sit on a podcast and talk about drugs policy with experts in that field and people who have experience... It's a lot better. It's a, like, you know, it gives space and, uh, and warmth and understanding to those subjects, which is really important, I think. If you were asked, uh, sorry, I know that we need Q&A in a sec, but if you were asked to form a kind of a, a duo, yeah. like Jane and I have done, oh. obviously, you know, we were forced into it at gunpoint. Um, You're <coughs> no, so good together, though. But if, but if I you mean, were... look, you've become each other. <laughs> other, completely symbiotic. Uh, who would you most likely, most like to do uh, a chat, chat, chat kind of podcast oh, with? Oh yeah, who, who who would I like to say? I mean, genuinely, somebody I don't 
agree with. Actually, I don't know whether that's your situation. Do you sometimes disagree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I genuinely like the sort of Ian Dale, um, Jackie Smith Jackie pairing Smith. Yeah. is the idea yeah. that they're from political, different political wings. I think that the interest would come uh, from me sitting and chatting with somebody that I that is completely the polar opposite to me. If anything, and this is now like becomes like a news line, um, is like somebody like Boris Johnson because I don't think that anybody who thinks that they have any understanding of what he's like or even a basic impression has got the right one from the man that I have spent my time with. Um, I'm not, this is not in sympathy to him, but he's just nothing like he comes across on the television. Absolutely. He's not better. In many ways, he's worse. Um, <laughs> but like I would, and because somebody so evasive, so like, blah, 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 I just wouldn't stand for it. Like, and I just would really like to see. I'd and love to hear that. Yeah, God, like I would, would just be like, why don't you neck in with your whiff waff? <laughs> Tell me what you actually think. Yeah. That was Jane Garvey, Fee Glover and Jess Phillips MP at the Podcast Day 24 conference. And you can listen to their full session by subscribing to our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash media podcast. It's time for a short break, but don't go anywhere because we'll be back after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And we're back with our two marvellous guests, Alex Hudson and Charlotte Tovit. And now for some news in brief. Regulator Ofcom has found that a third of social media users aged between 8 and 17 have signed up to a social media platform using a fake age. If you are a young person, you want to be on Instagram and you want to be on TikTok. The whole point of being a child is that you push at the boundaries of what is allowed and what is not allowed. It's not a surprise. And so if if the government really wanted to stop it, they could. Like the whole like if you look at the the whole free the nipple campaign and the fact that every time even a 
minuscule bit of skin is shown on, on social media, it's, the algorithms take it down within seconds. It could be done, but it's political will. This feels a little bit like sort of saber rattling around this whole like digital ID and the online harms bill and all of this stuff that is meant to make a free internet significantly less free. And it, it plays into that narrative of it's for the children, where in actual fact, the reality of moderating the internet and how free the internet is now open the internet is is already under question which i've spent too long researching about just how much the uk government allows and doesn't allow and wants to regulate so of course there is an internet freedom issue but equally um ofcom found in its report that there are risks to children you know if a child is self-declaring a false age to get onto a social media platform they noted that as the child gets older, their fake age also increases. So they might be being targeted with stuff that's completely um, inappropriate. And of course, we had the um, the tragic case of Molly Russell, who was able to, to see content um, of self-harm and suicide. And I think she was only 14 when she died. So Charlotte, is there something more that the platform should be doing in order to stop children from being able to lie? I mean, it's hard to do it right at the start. Obviously, as Alex said, there's things they can do. There's Meta, which James Facebook and Instagram talked about being able to detect in like videos when someone doesn't look like the age they said they are, or like asking other people to vouch for an age when you put it in. So like, I guess maybe you'd have to get a parent to do it. I haven't come up with any other bright ideas myself, but I don't work in that industry. We've still got the online safety bill bubbling away somewhere, even if it's fallen slightly by the wayside with the current government issues. But if young people are going to be able to just say they're a different age, and then the young online safety bills putting in place ways to protect young people, but then young people have found a way around that, then kind of what's the point? I wonder if it's really a, a pet. I'm, I'm not a parent, but is it a parent issue? I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where we, if you try and regulate and if you try and ban things, people will fi- find ways around them. And as is always the case in every single one of these ca- cases, it's always about education. and It's all about how sort of people are educated through social media. And, and I agree with you. And, like, and the, the idea of was a third of girls who spend a lot of time on social media are depressed and the number of suicidal thoughts that are attributed specifically to meta-owned properties like Facebook and Instagram is so high that of course there are problems there but if you ban it you drive it underground you make it worse you make it less likely that it's talked about it's how you educate through those issues so if under 13s have social media accounts who is providing access to that they don't have financial autonomy of by themselves how do we make sure that both parents and children and teachers themselves are educated through this about new social platforms, about how they're being used, about the damage they cause, and how can you have grown-up conversations for young people so they understand the risks in a sort of yes-and helpful way rather than trying to stop them doing a thing that they will naturally do anyway. Well, after discussing all of this week's media news, we just have time for, wait for it, this week's media quiz. So this week, uh, we're looking at a slightly odd trend that seems to have cropped up, uh, dismantling, burning and general destruction of creative work. 
So uh, how it's going to work is I will give you the name of what's being destroyed and you need to buzz in to let me know what it is, who's destroying it and why. So if you know the answer in true media podcast style, you need to buzz in with your name. So Alex, you will say... Alex. And Charlotte, you will say... Charlotte. That is the hardest bit of the quiz, I promise. Okay, off we go. So item number one that is up for possible destruction is original multi-track tapes for a string of musical hits. Charlotte, the writer behind the Wombles music. <laughs> and he he doesn't want them to be remastered like, like old Beatles and Eagles type stuff has been. There's one very, very funny quote, which is, do you think the Eagles would want Hotel California remixed when they're dead and gone? What's wrong with it as it is? And I just love the idea that he's comparing the Wombles to the Beatles. Well, I mean, my friend's a musician and he claims that the Wombles has had a massive influence on his career. So I'm sure, you know, there's there's some truth in that. I mean, Alex, do you think that, um, you know, we are being denied, very cruelly robbed of future Wombles remasters as a result of this uh, act of destruction? Stop remastering music. Leave music. So as, as a musician myself, you, once you create something, it is finished. You don't go back and other people can remix it and mess around with it. But you, like you, the amount of time we spent hundreds of hours on the record... You create it and you pour over every single millisecond of this thing and every single instrument, then you let it free. Let it free. And I'm sure the Wombles' artistical process is as important as any other earnest pursuit. <laughs> Excellent advice. Okay, so item number two uh, up for possible destruction is paintings depicting colourful spots. Alex. Alex. So D- Damien Hurst has has sold, this is the most 2022 thing ever, um, has sold hundreds of his artworks uh, after selling them as NFTs. And so the, the people buying them either got to pick whether they kept the NFT or whether they kept the literal artwork. And any that chose the NFT, he destroyed them. So apparently the artworks are worth around 10 million quid and there's 10,000 of them. And he has gone and destroyed all of his artworks. It's, it's very Damien Hurst. It's very 2022 it's just, it's very art, which is, you know, wonderful. So that, that's absolutely correct. So Damien Hurst has created something called the uh, Currency NFT Collection, which is 10,000 different works. And you could either choose to have a physical copy or an NFT copy. And interestingly, 4,851 people chose the NFT. Charlotte, had you parted with some cash for a Damien Hurst, uh, what would you have chosen? The the original copy or the NFT? Definitely the original art. I do not get NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone does really, but obviously, well, 4,851 people have clearly decided that that's the way forward. (laughs) Okay. And finally, um, Continuing on the painting theme and slightly worryingly, our final object potentially up for destruction is a painting by Hitler. Charlotte. Charlotte. So this is a very Channel 4 thing to do, trying to be a bit edgy, but um, it's like a new Jimmy Carr fronted show where they're going to basically let the audience in the studio decide whether artworks by controversial people should be destroyed or kept um, and so some of the other people are well Rolf Harris but I was reading um, The Guardian did a follow-up article to this basically pointing out that because of the way that artists rights work the fact that Channel 4's 
um, insisting that it bought all of the artworks in a legitimate auction way that Rolf Harris might have got some royalties and they're like, oh, it's a bit dodgy. But <laughs> So, yeah, this, the whole thing's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like on TV. Channel 4 obviously trying to... Uh persuade the government of its public sector value at the moment. So, um, Alex, do you think this kind of a program is is the way forward for Channel 4? Yes. In the, in the short, in the short, Channel 4 should be, this, this concept makes no sense. I think it's pure, I'm sure to annoy a lot of people. And I think Jimmy Carr fronting it is a really confusing choice, but that is exactly what Channel 4 should be doing. It should be, this sounds ridiculous. Do you want to do it? Yeah, sure. Fine. It could be a Mr. Beast program. I don't think Mr. Beast would make that take that risk. But like, how Channel Four's direct competitors is now almost literally Mr. Beast. How does Channel Four catch up with that? This this seems like a good stab at it. We've had uh, three items that we've had mentioned being destroyed. So in uh, in true Guardian style, that obviously means there is now a trend for destruction. So uh, why why do you think uh, that we are starting to destroy things, uh, Charlotte? Oh, it's probably just the mood of the world at the moment, isn't it? Take it out on art, I don't know. The world is a bin fire, so we might as well throw some artefacts on it. And on that positive note, uh, that makes the winner <laughs> the winner of the media quiz, Charlotte. Uh, your prize is an NFT edition of the media podcast episode, um, if we ever work out how to make one. Congratulations. That's all we've got time for today. A massive thank you to Alex Hudson and Charlotte Tobit. So uh, where can we find you all? Um, Alex, you've been doing some plugs already, but how can we find you uh, on the socials, Alex? Don't know what you're talking about. Um, I am at Alex Huds, A-L-E-X-H-U-D-S, across Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. You can find me on all of those platforms. All of the newsletters we are producing is newsweek.com forward slash newsletter, singular. But I will be plugging those so hard on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, so worry not. And Charlotte? Uh, you can find me at pressgazette.co.uk and on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit. And if you'd like to find me, I'm at annecharles.tv, that's Anne without an E, at SparkyAnnC on Twitter. And also I run Radio TechCon, which is the UK radio and audio industry's technical and engineering event happening on the 28th of November, but more on that next week. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, there are three simple things that you can do to support the team so that we can keep bringing you media news each week. You can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash mediapod, where you'll be able to access archives of deep dive interviews with media experts. So that's patreon.com slash mediapod. Um, if you aren't able to support us on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still help us out by telling your colleagues about the show, by sharing our links on Twitter or LinkedIn or your social media platforms of choice. Feel free to do a TikTok or create an NFT. And of course, follow the show to hear new episodes whenever they drop on your podcast app of choice. You can subscribe at podfollow.com slash themediapodcast. My name's Anne Charles. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill and it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week.